0: Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series, and we are on part two of 1 Thessalonians. Did that make sense? Anyway, um, we are going to dive into the actual text of 1 Thessalonians today. We've kind of done our background. That was the last podcast, and so feel free to go back and start there, and then listen to this one if you would like. Um, all right, so we're going to dig in just a little bit here. Um Okay, so basically what we've got here is the purpose. Um, purpose for this book is to express joy over the steadfastness of this church in spite of the opposition. Now, I want you to understand that the opposition for this church is coming from two basic locations. One, it's coming from both the Jews and the Greeks. And what ends up forming here is mostly a Gentile church. Okay, and so you've got these Jews that are really having a hard time with the traditions and the circumcision and cannot get past and so they're really stumbling over um the message of jesus as their messiah Uh, and that will only continue as this happens but the one thing i want you to understand is that first and second thessalonians was written about six months apart and so that one is like a real quick follow-up and they're both written from the city of corinth like we said last week um, but some of the things that they do, is uh, these letters, especially 1 Thessalonians, it refutes the criticism that he doesn't care for the church. Uh, it clarifies the doctrine of Christ's second coming and exhorts them to holy living would be the three things that are kind of covered in this. This is one of Paul's, actually, one of his most personal letters. It consists mainly of commendations, personal reflections, counsel, and exhortations. The main theme is the second coming of Christ, with every chapter ending with a reference of Christ's return. Okay, so our outline, um, chapter one, we have basically marks of a model church, dedicated service, spiritual receptivity to the Word of God, and holy living. Um, just think about if we applied those three markers of the model church to our churches today. Um, I don't know that we could say that we truly, as a body of Christ, exemplify holy living all that well. Um receptivity to the Word of God. Uh, According to Barnum's research, two-fifths of church-going believers report that they're never in the Word of God, and another fifth say that they are only in it maybe once a month. So I don't know that we could say that we are receptive to the Word of God anymore. Um, And then dedicated service. Well, uh, years ago, uh, the stats were that 20% of the church was doing 80% of the work. Um, And that used to be the case as far as just even believers that probably about 80% weren't really walking it and only about 20% were. Uh, Definitely the stats for 40 and up, 40-year-olds and up, is that 20% have a biblical worldview, which means 80% do not. Um, Now, unfortunately, in millennials in town, it has dropped to 2% actually have a biblical worldview. Uh, And so honestly, church, we're not doing very good at this. We're not doing very good at being in the word of God, which is why these podcasts exist. Because my heart is that you don't stop your reading with one of these episodes, that you're actually digging in to see what else you can find, that these spark your curiosity and your fire to be in the word. Um, to be a student of the word, to be like the Bereans who devote themselves to studying scripture, to see if what I say is so. Um, and here's the thing. Believers have some things that we disagree on. Um, part of what I'm going to do after these series is done is that I will do some of the foundation doctrine uh, to the church. And we'll talk about the disagreements that the body of Christ uh, has with some of these things, like some of the different ways that they things are viewed and understood. Um yeah, and so that's kind of where we're gonna head next. But so we're gonna let's dive into into First Thessalonians today. How about that? All right. So let's look at chapter one and see some of these things. Um, we give thanks always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, uh, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. "'Knowing, beloved brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you, "'for the gospel did not come to you in word only, "'but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, "'just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sakes.'" Be imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so, one of the things I want to point out here is something that you'll see in some of these letters is that Paul will talk about how the gospel is proven by how it comes, um, how it's received, how it comes in power and in the Holy Spirit, and how it brings full conviction. Okay, so. I, and I want to pick up at verse 7. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Acacia. Now, I want you to understand that. Because the way these Thessalonian believers lived their lives in the face of that Jewish persecution... In face of the riots and the the Jews that really incited all of these people in town against them, um, this would be the Jason and the others that were part of that house church and um, and and really just embrace the gospel. The way they embraced the gospel, the way they embraced the truth, the way they lived their lives in the middle of that persecution became an example for the entire region. And so basically what happened in Thessalonica got down to Athens and it got to Corinth and it got to all over the known world at the time. Um, And so these guys literally have become the token example for the church to follow. Um, Verse 8, "...for the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that they have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God." And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. I mean, just just think about that and how this church was living their faith. And that the example that they were setting, having turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Okay, now chapter 2 covers the ministry of Paul. Um, it is his me- the message, which is the gospel, his motive, which is to please God, and his manner of ministry. Um, we see the gentleness like a caring mother, generosity of sharing other- one's resources, and guidance like an encouraging father. Um, and then the last part of chapter 2, uh, we see Paul's concern for their steadfastness in his prayers. Um, Timothy's ministry... Um, and so, all right, so let's go ahead and dive into chapter two, uh, for you yourselves, brethren, um, know that our coming to you is not in vain, but after we had suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, which on last episode, we read the story of the Philippian jailer and how they were treated in Philippi as you know we had the boldness of our god to speak to you the gospel of god amid much opposition for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit but just as we were have we have been approved by god to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak not as pleasing men but god who examines our hearts uh, for we never came with flattering speech Okay, now, why is that significant? Well, that goes all the way back to this region into Corinth even. Um, one of the things that was very popular in that day would have been Greek speakers and eloquent. They would have been very eloquent. They would have come with flattering and very easy to listen to speech patterns. Um, and they, they would have been paid by patrons to speak. Um, and so, it, basically, it was kind of this little practice of oration. Um, and you would listen to somebody just speak, do public speaking. Um, and so this was a very well-known thing of their day. But the one thing about Paul is that when he came, he was not trained in Greek rhetoric. And he wasn't interested in it because if anybody could have mastered it, it would have been Paul. Um, but he was trained in more of legal dissertation, more um, court Uh, lay out your case, make your presentation. Um, It it was the Jewish rabbinical training. And so it was not fluffy, it wasn't wordy, it wasn't pretty, um, but it was systemic, um, layer-by-layer evidence and present your case. Um, And so think more attorney and lawyer talk rather than um, a TED Talk. (laughs) If that makes sense. Okay. So we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Because some of those speech makers were about making the money, right? Um, Nor did we seek glory from men. Um, and this would have been something that was definitely a play in Corinth as well. So this known world would have had this entity. But that you would have had prominent citizens. Um, and we can see a little bit of this if you go back to Acts, where it talks about there were predominant Greek and, and uh, men and women. Um, there was the who's who. Um, and so you had very much a hierarchy class system that existed in, in these These towns that Paul's walking into. We did not see glory from men, either from you or from others, or even as apostles of Christ might have ascertained our authority, or asserted our authority, sorry. But we proved to be gentle among you as nursing moms, tenderly caring for her own children. Now, I'm going to point out here in these couple of verses that I absolutely adore these because I, I really do think there is an element of how the church today needs to be reparenting in discipleship. Um, I think the body of Christ has the ability to heal um, a lot of parenting wounds that exist uh, in our lives if we are functioning as the body of Christ, as we should be. Um, I think... Uh, You know, that if you didn't have a good dad, look for father figures in your church that can love on you or that you could bring into your world a little bit more in some way. Um, And obviously do this with wisdom. But you're looking for examples that you can model. You're looking for men that you can respect. Um, You know, for those of you who have lost mothers, are there women in your church who don't have children to love? Um, Is there something that you could just choose to send them Mother's Day cards? Or, you know, just a card on Mother's Day to acknowledge them. Or, you know, just reaching out and allowing the body of Christ to kind of soothe one another uh, in some of those places that can hurt. Um, But Paul's talking about how he comes to the Thessalonians. uh, Verse 8, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our very lives, because you had become so very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, that our labor and hardship in working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we would behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were extorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God. Though God who called you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Um, and then he goes on and he talks a little bit more about just being imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus, um, the churches that are in Judea. Because um, remember, those churches are a little bit older and they've walked a little bit further along than these churches. These churches are, are uh, Paul's secondary missionary, second missionary journey. Um, and so the other churches have a good five to 10 year head start. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to pick up in 14. Um, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering at the hands of your own countrymen as they did from the Jews um, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the results that they always fill up the measure of their own sin, but the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit. We're all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan has hindered us. For who is our hope and or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming for you are our glory and joy. Okay, I just want you to realize that if you are not a believer reproducing in the lives of others, if there isn't um if there isn't discipleship going on in some way in your world, in other words, you're not taking what you know and passing it along. Um you're going to miss out on what Paul's talking here. And it's going to be really hard to understand the extent to which he's he's talking about here. Um, but I will tell you, one of the biggest joys is to watch a younger believer successfully navigate and build their theology and navigate suffering and struggles and grow in their faith. And then to watch them start sharing truth of god's word and gospel with others and disciple others it is a beautiful thing to watch to see the body of christ just grow and grow and grow um, through people you've poured your life into to watch them turn around and pour into the lives of others um and so paul is talking here just about how dear the thessalonian believers have become to him okay um and so chapter three uh In chapter 3, we have a couple different things going on. Um, uh, We have Timothy's ministry and praise report, and then Paul's prayers for them. All right. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip us ahead a little bit. So chapter 3, verse 6, I'm going to start there and I'm going to read through 13. Um, But now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, that you are always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Now we really live if we stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all of the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account? As we, day and night, keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now, May our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. So he's, he's asking the Lord to bring him back to them. Um, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Okay, so can you see it in these last couple chapters, these references to Jesus coming? Okay, so um, let me read the last chapters of, or the last verses of each chapter. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Um, And then chapter 2, verse 19, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 13, That he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So you can kind of see it building, right? These little references to to Christ's second coming and his return. Okay, chapter four, we do a little bit of a switch because remember, usually in Paul's epistle letters, the first three are greetings and um, affirmation and um, things like that and some, some gospel pieces and... Uh, and then usually the second half is more teaching and practical um, and the things he wants them to watch out for and the things that they need to be doing. Um, and we have kind of the similar setup here. Um, we've got some things that he clarifies. We've got some ad, um, things he's admonishing them to do. Uh, and so um, basically in chapter 4, it is living to please God by one, sexual purity, by two, brotherly love, Three, real-life application of the gospel. Um, And so that is pretty much most of chapter four. Uh, The last little section um, deals with um, the second coming of Christ and some things. So we'll get to that in just a second. All right, so finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord that you, just as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, uh, that you excel still more, for you know what commands we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, uh, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctity and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now I want to pause here, and I want to direct you guys back to those first couple episodes in Corinth, um, in Corinthians because you need to understand the known world at this time, um, had coined a phrase called to Corinthianize. And it was a level of sexual immorality that was hmm, uh, very much known for the city of Corinth. Okay, Corinth is not too far from Uh, Thessalonica. And it's also one on the trade route. It was a double port city. And so it would be very conceivable that people from Thessalonica would have traveled in and through Corinth at one point in their lives or another, Um, maybe on a consistent and regular basis. Um, And so one of the things because of that, there would have been a lot of people who didn't necessarily anonymity would have been pretty high in a port city like that. Um, And then Corinth had a lot of waiting because they had the four-mile isthmus that you would literally pack a ship on the other side of. You'd take your cargo from one side of the isthmus port to the other port and then keep going Um, instead of going around this little peninsula thing um, because it was really dangerous with storms and stuff because of the winds that would converge in that area. Evidently, it was very uh, common for people to say, "You might be able to do it once, but you won't. You won't survive a second trip around." Um, and so, in other words, they would use the city of Corinth quite a bit. Uh, and if if they really had their stuff together, they'd have a ship at one side waiting that has unloaded its cargo to put on your ship, so you can go back. And they would shuttle things like that. Um, otherwise, sometimes they would unload their cargo sail an empty ship around the peninsula and pick it up on the other side. Um, And hopefully the ship made it, (laughs) Um, which a lighter ship does better in storms than a heavy ship does, remember? Um, Okay, so moving on, um, basically what we have in this section is he's encouraging them to sexual purity. This would have been an anathema idea. I mean, this just would not... The this, this secular world that they would have been coming out of, because remember this church is predominantly Gentile, um, would not have valued purity. And so all of a sudden for these people to be living pure, there would have been a lot of questions on what this looked like. Um, and so Paul is very clear that they are to possess their vessel very differently, sanctified and with honor, not in lusting passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so there's some very specific here. Uh, Okay, and so verse 6, so that no, no man transgresses and defrauds his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all of these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. God has not called us to the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now also, to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Um, That is probably some of the highest praise Paul gives anyone in all of his letters, um, that nobody needs to teach them how to love others because they do it really well. Um, you do it in practice uh, towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you still more, do still more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business, to work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Um, And so you can kind of feel that the... Um, Thessalonica might have had a pretty interesting crowd in it that might be trying to get other people to pay their way and do some things like that and wanting attention and um, wanting that kind of stuff. And so Paul's encouraging them to live completely opposite of some of the things going on in their culture. Okay, and then in verse 13 through 18, we get to the end of the chapter. So we got another reference to Christ's coming, okay? Um, so hold, hold your seat for these. Go ahead of, or proceed, those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord." Therefore, comfort one another with these things. Um, these verses rep- reference what has traditionally within the church been called the rapture. Um, and I am just completing a two-year study of Revelation. And I will tell you right here is probably the clearest reference to our being raptured. Um, that are in Scripture. There's a couple other places that also talk about it, but actually it's kind of intriguing to note that Revelations does not clearly talk about us being raptured. Um, it does mention at times that it seems like it, you can read it pretty clearly that the church is in heaven at certain point. Um, but it doesn't clarify when we get there, Um, and so I'll be honest, I spent two years waiting to find out when exactly we go, you know, so that I could say, hey, I now know that we go at this specific time, Um, and so we completed uh, a very in-depth study with precepts of Revelation, and uh, spoiler alert, I You know, I think God has kind of cloaked that just a little bit. And so I have always been kind of a pre-trib gal. That's kind of what I um, got from all my training. And the thing I've realized is that when God does not clearly state something, it's not for us to worry about. Um, He does kind of allude that he's going to save us from God's wrath. Um, And so a lot of uh, revelations, and specifically the tribulation, is God venting his wrath. Um, And so I know for certain we won't be there for the second half of Revelation, uh, of the tribulation, but where we go in the first part, I'm just not sure yet. Anyway, so, and I tell you that in all humility, because I would love to definitively say yes. Uh, It happens at this time, and we're out of here, and then the tribulation comes. Um, But with all humility, um, I've come off of a two-year in-depth study of letting the Word of God say what it says. Um, and I can't walk away going, yes, I absolutely, definitively know now. Um, but I have confidence in what I have read that it—that's most likely the case that we will um, be raptured before uh, a lot of that stuff takes place. So, but here's the thing: God is faithful, and no matter how long we're here waiting for Him, He's coming. He's coming, and whatever um, persecution and hardship we will end up enduring. God is faithful. The Thessalonian believers are a beautiful example of how it is possible to grow and love others and um, thrive as a believer under intense persecution. So I'm going to leave you guys with that, with all humility, just understanding that The best principle to understanding scripture is letting scripture say what it says, and trying not to read into it too much, Um, because one of the dangers is when we read into scripture, we can tend to make it say what we want it to say, or to try to get it to fit our lens or our mold or our idea of how it should be, Um, and. I think part of me in the last couple of years as a student of the word is trying to really surrender those things and let God show me what the word of God says. Um, and when God doesn't clarify something in his word to allow it to be something that I take on faith and I allow him to hold the details. And so that's kind of where I sit with things, but Thank you guys for joining me today, and I know I'm not finishing 1 Thessalonians, so I'm going to leave chapter 5 because it's going to talk about the day of the Lord. So you're going to want to keep reading. Um, Anyway, I feel like I kind of gave you a spoiler on Revelation. But anyway, who knows? We'll see. All right, talk to you guys later.